Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. How to dominate in life, five areas the believer should dominate in life. Uh, Before I move on, if you would take a second and share the broadcast, share it on Facebook, share it on YouTube, like it on YouTube, and comment on YouTube and on Facebook. It helps with the algorithm. It helps get this content more uh, out and onto the YouTube's recommended page for other people's. You know, like TikTok has a For You page. YouTube also has a For You page. When you like, when you comment, when you... um, when, when you share the broadcast, it helps tap in somehow to YouTube's algorithm and they'll begin to pump this content in front of other people. And I, I've, I said it, as I've said it many times before, this is the type of content that needs to be pushed on the earth today. This is the type of stuff. We don't need people twerking. We don't need to see people doing backflips. We need this gospel. Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the earth and then the end will come. So help me by getting this out to as many people as possible. And uh, I pray the Lord will bless you for it in Jesus' name. How to dominate in life. Five areas the believer is to dominate in life. Before I move on, I had this scripture pop up into my spirit just before I came on. And I want to read it to you because it perfectly illustrates exactly what I'm going to talk about today. Listen and pay uh, close attention. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. Remember this. Before I move on to read the story, I don't want you to read it with the bias or the lens that North American Christians have most of the time. And that is that Jesus was some special case that you should never even seek to live a life like Christ lived, that Christ was in a class of his own and the way he walked on the earth, you should never even think or imagine to do anything that Christ did because he was the son of God. You're just a miserable, human, wretched, depraved piece of garbage. And if you're just tuning in right now, please uh, rewind it a bit and you'll get what I'm, don't come in and think I'm calling people pieces of garbage. Rewind and you'll find out why I'm talking like this. North American Christianity, that's a lot of the the preaching that goes on is that Christ was Christ. Jesus was the son of God. You're a piece of garbage and you are not worthy to even think of doing anything that Jesus ever accomplished on the earth. And so you should just seek to live a quiet, comfortable life somewhere in a corner. Hope the devil doesn't bother you and just navigate through life. Uh, going through trials and tribulation. There's nothing you can do about it, but one day we're going to cross the pearly gates and that and that alone is when we're going to actually find worth in Christianity. That's not the picture of, that's not the Bible, first of all. That's not the truth of the Bible. That's not why Paul wrote his epistles to tell people that they're miserable human beings and they, they ultimately are on their own here on this earth. The epistles are actually a illustration or a, unraveling rather of what Christ has made you and I to be in Christ Jesus. I've said this before and it bears repetition. If you study your Bible properly, one of the things you should be doing is you should carry a highlighter in your hand and everywhere in the New Testament that it says in Christ Jesus or through Christ Jesus or by Christ Jesus, you should highlight the statements that precede or proceed 
the in Christ, by Christ, through Christ, and then write it down in a notebook, study them, memorize them, get it deep down into your spirit, confess it daily for yourself, because those statements are your new identity in Christ. You have lost your old identity. You're not a sinner, deprived, human, wretched, disgusting piece of junk. When Christ picked you up out of that pit of sin, the Bible says he raised you up and made you to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. The scripture says, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it is no longer I that lives, TJ died in 2012 when Christ came to live in me. TJ, the old sinner died. The Bible says I was freed from the body of sin. I was freed from my old nature. I don't call myself by what I used to be. Now, the Bible says, Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I that lives. Christ now lives in me. And the life that I live and what I confess myself to be is Christ in me. I'm not saying I am Christ. I'm saying that Jesus, by mystery of the faith, has decided to live in us. Remember the Old Testament. The Bible says that the Spirit of God would come upon certain individuals. And then there's the times where you see the angels of the Lord appeared to certain individuals. That was Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. He would appear to certain people. He would never live in them. The Holy Spirit <clears throat> did not live in um he didn't live in David. He didn't live in Elijah. He didn't live in Elisha. He was upon those people. But the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it was never God's will for him to dwell in human in, in, in vessels made by human hands. It was never God's will to dwell in temples made by human hands. God prepared a temple for him. That temple was you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Holy Spirit. You are the dwelling place of God on the earth. God's residential address on planet earth is where you are and where I am if you're a born again redeemed Christian. And so you have to stop calling yourself by what you used to be and start calling yourself by what Christ has made you to be. Don't get this religious mindset in you. You know, Colossians chapter two, it says, many have been cheated from the reward of the inheritance of Christ because they hold to, the, they, they hold to traditions. They hold to the traditions of men and the basic principles of this world. They hold to religious traditions which bind them so that the word of God can't become fruitful in their hearts. And as such, they're, they're robbed of the reward. They're robbed of God's blessing they're robbed of what God wants to do. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to have anything or anybody steal my blessing. I'm not going to have any mindset or mentality that contradicts the word of God steal my blessing. I don't care what religion calls blasphemous or whatever. They call Jesus blasphemous because he called himself the son of God. They called the disciples blasphemous because they spoke and taught in the name of Jesus. Religion always called, always, always called the thing that would give believers victory, blasphemous. All the time. You talk about the power of the blood. That it's a covenant protect, protect, protection on, on people that are redeemed households. That the Bible says in Psalm 91, because we dwell in the covenant shelter of the blood, we don't have to fear evil. They call that blasphemous. Well, no, we live in this world, you know. Ultimately, we're not going to have victory until we cross over to the other side. Then anybody that tells you, you know, I just started a TikTok two weeks ago, and you have people, people that call themselves Christians. The moment, because I don't put misery TikToks 
There's enough of that going around. I don't put on TikToks or videos or Instagram reels that discourage people or add a burden to people's already burdened life. When I'm on that thing, I got 30 seconds to impart joy into people. I've got 30 seconds to impart Christ into people. I've got 30 seconds, which by the way, telling people about Jesus shouldn't be a funeral. The Bible says it's the good news. It's not bad news. It's not depressing news. It's not hopeless news. It's good news. So if preaching Christ if people have a problem with joy coming when I preach Christ, then the problem is not on me. The problem's on you. The Bible says the angels, when they came to tell the shepherds of Jesus, the, the, the one that was born in a manger, was wrapped in swaddling cloths. What did the shepherds see the angels do? They didn't come down in some solemn assembly with dark robes on them saying, oh, get ready. Things are about to get really bad. No, their, their song that they were singing, the song that the angels chanted was glory to God in the highest and on the earth what not doom and destruction and gloom goodness peace goodwill towards man the gospel isn't evil will the gospel is goodwill the gospel isn't get ready to die the gospel is when you die Christ lives in you and now you're empowered to live a life in the supernatural the gospel isn't depressing news the gospel is the most joyful news it should bring victory it should bring a sense of authority in you it should bring something in you that revives you and makes you excited and makes things thrilling it shouldn't make things you know it's amazing how many christians quote unquote are offended by the message of dominion, what I'm going to talk about today. They're offended by the message of victory. They're offended by the truth that when you're in Christ, God leads you to triumph in all things. I mean, I posted something the other day, and I said that you're seated in heavenly places. You're born above, uh, born from God, born above all things. You, you've been delivered from the powers of darkness. The devil no longer has the ability unless you let him. He has no ability to afflict you or oppress you. You are far above principalities and powers. Amazing how many comments came in that says, well, no, that's not my experience. So, you know, I'm a Christian born again, spirit filled, and I've never experienced that. So you should stop telling people that. Wow, I didn't know we replaced the Bible for your experiences. What a shocking truth. I should make aware all my preacher friends tell them to abandon the truth of the universe and start adapting this man's experience because his experience obviously is um, holds authority over the authority of the scriptures obviously this man's experience has brought the scriptures subject to it my friend pay special attention i don't care what anybody's experience i don't care if people have experienced hell on earth and call themselves christians i don't care if people are offended by the message of the gospel because it's not been their experience this word is truth no matter what man's experience says this word is above all no matter what people's stories might have uh, have 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 illustrated i don't care what people have been through i don't care what people have seen in their lives i don't care what people have felt in their hearts my ultimate ultimate um my ultimate subjection is to the word of god I submit my feelings, I submit my thoughts, I submit everything to the authority of the word of God. This word is truth, and even if other people's faithlessness uh, has happened, it does not nullify God's faithfulness. Remember this, other people's faithlessness does not nullify God's faithfulness. Forever thy word has been settled in the heavens. And it's no good if it's just settled in the heavens. 
That's why these people say, well, I know it's in the Bible, but I've never experienced it. You've not settled the word in your heart. The word of God will never manifest in your life and bring what it promises until it is settled in your heart. God's word is settled in heaven. That's why there's no sickness there. That's why there's no poverty there. That's why there's no death there. Until it gets settled in your heart, all those things are going to rule and dominate your life. But I pray today by the spirit of wisdom and revelation that God would open up the eyes of your heart to see that what is settled in heaven, Jesus said, you can actually have it settled on the earth, but it has to be revealed to you. It has to be, you have to see it for yourself. You have to put away all your preconceived notions. You have to put away your biases. You have to put away theological traditions, some of it. You have to put away what religion has taught you. You have to put away poverty mindsets and mentalities. And you have to now, just like Paul said in Romans chapter 12, renew your mind. Why? How? By the preaching of the word. Renew your mind by the washing of the water of the word we're not conformed to the patterns of this world i'm not conformed to the way other people think in this world i'm transformed in the renewing of my mind by the word of god and as such now because my mind's transformed i'm starting to produce what is good what is perfect and what is the acceptable will of god in my life so my prayer as we move on and I'm going to read Mark chapter 435 through the end of the chapter to you right now. But my prayer before I move on to anything else is get out this religious concept that Jesus came to ultimately just show you what life as the son of God is. And he came to fulfill his mission. But nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does it ever say you'll ever do what Jesus did. Actually, it's the complete opposite. John chapter 14 verse 12 says, you have seen what I've done. John 14, 12. The works that you have seen me do, you will do. And greater works are you going to do because I'm going to the Father. Jesus didn't say, what you've seen me do, don't ever even try or think that you can do. Jesus said the complete opposite of what North American Christianity teaches. The works that you've seen me do, I've shown you by example that by the anointing and the spirit of the living God, when he comes and abides in you, you're going to do the same work and greater works are you going to do because I'm going unto the father. Jesus didn't come to give you like some excerpt of what supernatural living looks like but then when he left he said now you're on your own when he left he said don't be afraid don't get discouraged don't sorrow now that i'm going the same power that's dwelt in me that's empowered me to do what you've seen me do he's gonna live in you he's gonna quicken your mortal body he's gonna empower you to live a supernatural lifestyle to shock this world and show them that christianity is not to be grouped up with every other religion christianity is not just it's not an organization it's not a 501c3 it's not a church that you join or a membership that you gain christianity is the life of god in human vessels demonstrating god's power here on the earth in the name of jesus christ and if you've never had that form of christianity before today's the day that changes today you're gonna get intoxicated you're gonna get a taste and you're gonna see of what God's power is and what it should bring about in a believer's life. And you're not going to be satisfied with status quo Christianity. You're not going to be satisfied with yesterday's stale bread. You're not going to be satisfied with just roaming through life and 
All Christianity is, is the check that you put on your census form when they ask you what religion you adhere to. Oh man, if that's all it was, I wouldn't want anything to be, I wouldn't want anything to, to have. I wouldn't want any part in Christianity. Jesus, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, we're of all men to be pitied. Worst, more than every man to be pitied. But Christ rose from the dead and that resurrection power lives in me. And so the Christian is not to be pitied on the earth. The Christian is to be envied on the earth and that's the life you're going to have from today if you're just tuning in now you do a great help to me if you if you'd share uh share this broadcast mark chapter 4 and verse 35 listen to this on the same day remember what i said jesus was an example of what living as a son of god looks like he was the son of god the only begotten of the father but remember the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as believe in him, to them gave he power to become sons of God. So we are also adopted into the family of God. We have lost our, we're no longer sons of this world. We're no longer sons of the devil. Our father is God. Our sonship is a son of the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says we were, we were strangers. We were foreigners, but now we're fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's very own household. My household is the household of faith. And so, as such, when I read these stories, I'm not reading them to visit some museum and see how Jesus did things and then just hope that he'll do it for me. No, this is to show me now what I have power to do by the authority of the name of Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, I'm giving you keys of the kingdom. These keys, when I go, they're going to be very useful to you. You'll be able to bind the things I bound. You'll be able to lose the things I lose. You don't have to go through the things that other people go through who don't know me. You have authority and power over those things to subject them to your will. That's what dominion is. Dominion is having it your way all day. Dominion is having it your way all day. I want you to write that in the comment section. Dominion is having it my way all day. It's not letting the devil dictate what goes on in your life. It's not letting circumstances dictate what goes on in your life. It is taking charge, taking control. It is taking command of a situation by the power of Christ. This is exactly what Jesus did here. On the same day when Jesus had come over, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. So Jesus gave a command. We're going to the other side. We're going to where we need to be. Now that doesn't mean just because God gave you a promise, just because God said you're going to get somewhere, just because he put a dream in your heart doesn't mean it's automatically going to be fulfilled. You're never going to have an appreciation for the message that I'm preaching today unless you realize that in life there are challenges. In life there is opposition. In life there's going to be adversaries. There's going to be satanic adversaries that manipulate men to come against your destiny. But the good news is, is that you don't have to succumb and be a victim of those things. Just like Jesus. He said, let's go to the other side. Just because he was Jesus didn't exempt him from trial. Didn't exempt him from challenges. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves began to beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. That's what the spirit of faith will do. Cause you to sleep when everyone else is running around helter-skelter not knowing what to do. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Isn't it interesting that they said that? The very one who came to prevent them from perishing, John 3.16, is being accused now of not caring that they're perishing. You see, when you don't know the message of dominion, when you don't understand authority as a believer, 
Anytime there's a challenge and it seems like that thing is gaining ground against you and taking territory and it seems like you're losing this battle, when God actually said there's certain things that you pray for and then there's certain things you take authority against and the thing you're facing is something you can't pray for, pray about it, something you have to take authority against and when it seems to be overwhelming you, you now look to do what? Blame God. Don't you care, God, that I'm perishing? Don't you care? See, that's what happens when believers are not, are not acclimated, are not brought to the reality of what I'm speaking and I'm going to speak on today. They revert to blaming God for anything in their life that isn't pleasurable, anything in their life that isn't bringing victory, anything that is harming them or disturbing them or causing turbulence in the waters of their life. They immediately blame God because they don't understand. God didn't say pray for everything. There are certain things you have to take authority against. There's certain things you have to take charge yourself. There's a responsibility that's been laid on you as someone that's born again. Just like Moses. Moses gets to the Red Sea. They had just delivered, he had just delivered Israel out of Egypt by the plagues. And now they finally broke free. They're going through this place. They get to the Red Sea. And the Bible says the Israelites begin to complain against Moses. Begin to complain against God. That's human nature. Oh, there's a challenge, God. Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you, why didn't you help me? How come I never get through? How come I'm so unlucky? I don't know. You know, you just spew out whatever you feel like saying. Moses did the same thing. Israel, Israel blamed Moses, saying, is it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us here to die? What did Moses do? God, what are we going to do? We're locked here. We're lost here. There's no way out. What did God say? Why are you crying out to me? That's literally what God said in Exodus chapter 14. Why are you crying out to me? I gave you that rod, which the rod symbolizes authority and power. I gave you my power already. You don't have to cry to me every single time you get challenged and go into some hopeless panic, wondering how you're going to make it through life. I gave you that rod with which I told you you would do signs and wonders. Take it. Wave it over the sea yourself. You don't have to pray to me for every single thing. There's things you pray for, and there's things you take authority over. When he did that, the, the waters were split left and right, and they walked through on dry ground. And then the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned by the same water. You know what that tells you? The authority and power God gave you doesn't just give you the ability to make it through places that other peoples are failing. But it gives you power now to take vengeance. It gives you power to take authority and to defeat the enemies that were seeking to bring you into captivity. The power of God doesn't just give you a way out. It gives you power then to, to, to defeat your enemies so that the Egyptians that you see today, you see no longer. So Jesus, what, how did he deal with it? Teacher, we, do you not care that we're perishing? What did Jesus do? And Jesus arose, and he got the disciples to join hands. And they just prayed a very, very serious prayer. Lord, we know that sometimes in life, storms come. And though we don't know why, we just have to trust your process. And so we do put our, that's not what, that's not what he said. That's not what he did. And I don't know about you, but I'd like to be Christ-like. I don't want to just be Christ-like in love and Christ-like in peace and Christ-like in joy and in patience and goodness and gentleness and kindness. Those are wonderful 
uh, characteristics of the fruit of the spirit and I want to be Christ-like in those areas. I want to be compassionate. I want to be more loving. I want to be more helpful. I want to do those things. But I also want to be Christ-like in power. And the way Jesus was, the way Jesus uh, exemplified that was here. What did he do? He arose and rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this one be that even the winds and the waves obey him? Life doesn't give you what you deserve. Life gives you what you demand. If those disciples hadn't had Jesus on that boat, they would have died thinking this must be what we deserve. Jesus got up and asked. He demanded the situation to turn. He demanded the problem to be solved. He demanded the storm to cease. Some of you watching right now, you've gone through a five-year storm, 10-year storm, and you've been holding it out, thinking that God was trying to refine you and help you, and somehow he was teaching you a lesson, but Jesus didn't see the storm as God sent. He saw it as a demonically inspired storm, and as such, furiosity rose up from within, anger and indignation, and he didn't gently talk to the storm. He rebuked it and said, hush, be still. Some of you have gone through things year after year unnecessarily necessarily because the devil has gotten you to believe and think wrongly that this thing is God sent this thing this sickness is just God trying to refine me this poverty is just God trying to keep me humble this marriage problem is just God trying to refine our marriage all of that is bogus the Bible says that God brings us from glory to glory the Bible says very clearly that the picture that God has painted for the believer is that of victory and of triumph so anything that opposes Moses that is not sent from heaven. Remember James 1.17. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from heaven. From the father of lights in whom there's no shifting shadow and there's no variant of change. There's no change. He's immutable. He's not happy one day and then terribly ticked off the next day and he wants to squash you and make life hard for you he's happy all the time he wants you to be walking in goodness and mercy all the time david said it this way when the lord is your shepherd you're not going to lack in any area of life so if there's lack in a certain area you can know it's not god bringing that lack it's not god bringing that oppression it's not god trying to suppress you it is the devil who seeks to steal kill and destroy but the good news is you don't have the anointing wasn't given to you so you can and just put your head down and just take the beating the anointing was given to you to rise up and beat the devil's head over and command him to leave you alone and from today i pray as this broadcast comes alive and the words that i'm speaking on this broadcast comes alive in your spirit the bible says in psalm 119 the entrance of god's word brings light and it gives understanding to the simple this word as it gets in you it's gonna bring light light diffuses and expels darkness the light of God's truth coming alive in your heart is going to enable you and empower you to rise up and expel the darkness that is seeking to invade your life in Jesus' mighty name. What is dominion? Dominion is taking control of a situation like we saw here. Jesus took control of the storm. He didn't pray the storm and hope God took it away. He took control of the storm. Another per very good example of someone who exercised real dominion not this North American, Father, 
Give me the patience to go through this. Give me the wisdom to know whether. Uh, what's that like cheap prayer, that Alcoholics Anonymous prayer? Let me get it. This one always irritates me because it's not found anywhere in the Bible. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. God, grant me the serenity. This is what they teach people to pray, to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I'll tell you right from the onset of this broadcast, there is nothing the devil has done to you that the power of God can't do something about. There's nothing that cannot, be, that cannot not be changed. The Bible says in Mark eleven twenty three, if you have a mountain in front of you, you can say to the mountain, the mountain represents something that's unchangeable in, natural, in the natural realm. You know, you can pray that if you strip the supernatural from Christianity. You can pray that prayer with absolute confidence. But when you understand, I mean, you take the supernatural out of this Bible, you just, you take that, that level of reasoning and you put it and apply it to the Bible. If the authors of the Bible had written the Bible with that type of thinking, except the things we cannot change, blah, 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 the serenity, the wisdom to know the difference, you'd have to strip out. They wouldn't have talked about Jesus rebuking the winds and the waves. They wouldn't have talked about Naaman dipping in the river Jordan seven times and his flesh being restored. They would never have talked about Jesus rising from the dead. I mean, that's a pretty unchangeable thing. Death, but Jesus conquered death. If Jesus conquered death, then there's nothing in life that cannot be changed, that cannot not be changed. There's nothing in life. There's no mountain that's immovable. There's no circumstance that's not uh, reversible. If faith is employed, Jesus said, if you have an impossible mountain situation in front of you, you can say to the mountain, be uprooted and cast into the sea, and it has no choice but to obey your command if it's given in faith. So don't believe that. whole. You take the supernatural out of the Bible. Look at the book of Acts alone. Take the, book of, take the supernatural and the miracles and the, 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 the power of God changing things through prayer. And through men of God that took authority over things. Take all those stories out of the Bible. Acts chapter 12, they prayed that Peter would be delivered. An angel came. It seems to me that God can do nothing on the earth unless men pray. When people pray, things change. So there's absolutely nothing. There's nothing you're going through that can't be changed. This, listen to this. Second, Second Kings chapter 1. And the king sent to Elijah a captain of 50 men. So he went up to him, and there he was. Elijah was sitting on top of the hill. And he spoke to the man. Man of God. So this is what the king's uh, servant said. Man of God. The king has said, come down. Elijah answered and said to the captain of the 50. Okay, I guess, you know, I got to submit to government authorities. It's not what he said. If I be a man of God, Elijah replied. Then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came from heaven and consumed him with his 50. So the king sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50 men. And he, ans and he answered and said to him, Man of God, thus says the king of Israel, uh, the king of, yeah, the king of Israel, come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said, If these guys, if I don't give in, they're going to keep on coming. So let me just give it. No, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. So you can see Elijah, didn't, he didn't even have to pray about it. 
He just said, if I'm a man of God, which if you're in Christ, you're a man of God. Paul told Timothy, you, oh man of God, you're a woman of God. And as a man or a woman of God, you have, you have a privilege of dealing with things that come against you in a different way than the world does. The world has to reason things out. The world has to stress themselves out. The world has to go a different path because they don't have access to our God. We have access to a God that has supernatural power that though the same winds and the same waves come against us, the scripture says we don't have to fall victim to those things. We can rise up and take charge of these things. Dominion is taking charge of a situation. Dominion is not accepting things that come your way. Dominion is taking a a um, dominion is taking inventory of what you're seeing in life and the things that don't line up in scripture, you turn to line up with scripture. Dominion is in essence making things line up with God's word. That's what it is. It's not accepting things that don't line up with God's word and then making them line up with God's word by the power of faith. Let me read a few scriptures. First of all, when man created you, he created you to have this dominion. This isn't some new theology that came up in the 1960s. This is something that God, from the very beginning, designed you as a human created in God's image to have. Genesis 1.26, when God created man, he said, let us make man in our image. And according to our likeness, let them have dominion. There's that first word spoken of in the Bible. The first time dominion is listed in the Bible is in Genesis 1, the very first chapter. God created man to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. And God said, and God blessed them, sorry. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue it. Dominion is subduing things to your will. Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God created all things and he saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. So God says dominion is good to have. When Adam sinned, we forfeited Understand this, Adam through sin swapped out our dominion for the devil's oppression. Adam through sin swapped out our dominion for the devil's oppression. But Christ through Calvary swapped out our oppression for Christ's dominion on the earth. That is a very important thing to know. Adam through sin forfeited the keys of dominion on the earth. But Christ through obedience stripped those keys of dominion from the devil and handed it back to you and I so that we have that dominion reinstored to us, reinstituted, restored to us, reinstated to us. What Adam lost, Christ regained for us. That's the very first time you see dominion in the Bible. Hebrews 11.33. Listen to this. Hebrews 11.33. And people that, that love 
Listen to this. There are people who love struggle. There are people who love struggling. They love being beat down. They love being uh, attacked. There are, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. There are people, trust me, as a minister, I get questions and I get people commenting all the time. There are really people who love being attacked that hear a message like this and they hate it. They hate it. They love receiving pity from men. They love to be the object of attention. They love to receive people's sympathy. They literally, they feed off of it. And so they hear a message like this and they log on. I can't, man. He's telling me I can have victory. That's not what I've had. And so, you know what? It must not be true. And honestly, I love the attention I'm getting. They love it. But I know that's not your case because you're still on. There's other people in life who, can't, who don't want to be the victim of abuse of the devil any longer. People who don't want to be harassed any longer. People who are fed up and have said, enough is enough. I refuse to be the victim of assault another day in my life. I'm more than a conqueror. Greater is he that lives in me than he that is in the world. Through my God, David said, I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. I refuse to be a victim of assault and attack. I refuse to be sympathized. Enough is enough. I'm rising up to my God-given inheritance. That's why you're watching today. Listen to this. Proverbs chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. So the Bible says the power of faith releases dominion to subdue kingdoms. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. And verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she'll promote you. She'll bring you honor when you embrace her. She'll place on your head an ornament of grace and a crown of glory she will deliver to you. So that, does that say when you get wisdom, things are going to get harder? Or does it say it, it promotes you, it exalts you, it brings you honor? And then it says it places on your head an ornament of grace and a crown of glory. What's a crown? A crown is for royalty. A crown is for someone who's in charge. The Bible says when you get the wisdom of what I'm talking about today, it'll deliver to you a crown of glory. She'll deliver to you. Hear my son and receive my sayings. And the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I've let you in right, right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction and don't let go. Keep her for she is your life. Don't enter the path of the wicked and don't walk in the, walk in the way of evil. Verse 18. For the path of the just is like the, si the shining sun that shines even brighter unto that perfect day. The path of the just shines brighter and brighter, even unto the perfect day. So the Bible doesn't say that your life is to be ups and downs and all arounds, mountains and valleys. It says that you're to be on a trajectory that it shines brighter and brighter, goes higher and higher. 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we behold him as in a mirror, the word of God, we are transformed into the same image of Christ from glory to glory. Psalm 84 says, as we appear before God in Zion, we go from strength to strength. So why is it that there's all these indications 
in scripture that show that the believer is to be crowned, the believer is to be in charge, the believer is to be in command, the believer is to be ruling on the earth by Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17 says, through the one man's sin, death spread to all, but now through Christ's obedience, shall we now be recipients of grace and be heirs of the gift of righteousness so that we can reign in life by Christ Jesus. Romans 5.17 says, you can reign in life by Christ Jesus. You can have a dominion lifestyle. That doesn't say you'll reign in heaven. It says you'll reign in life by Christ Jesus. I'm not waiting for heaven to start acting on my dominion that God gave me. I can do it now. You can change your story today. You don't have to wait till death takes you away before you get healed. First of all, healing is not you dying. When you die and you're raised up again, when Christ calls your name on that day, you're not going to be healed. You're going to be raised from the dead. The good news is, is you can take dominion over sickness in this life. You don't have to wait till you die so you can access heaven's riches and walk on streets of gold. You can take dominion over poverty here in this life. The reason why there's such a chasm between people who are living in victory and those who aren't living in victory isn't because God has chosen a select few individuals to partake of this heavenly package and the rest are left to pretty much straighten things out themselves and and God has a different program for other Christians no the reason why some people experience hindrance hindrances to this dominion lifestyle is the following. I've written down two hindrances to dominion. Two reasons why people don't act out this dominion on the earth or don't, they're not partaking of the fruit of dominion on the earth. Number one is their own ignorance. I read a story that there was a king's son. A king had a son, a child, that uh, at a young age, under two years old, he was kidnapped. And uh, he was like sold somewhere. And somewhere down the line, this guy ends up picking him up. But the guy that picked him up wasn't very wealthy, wasn't very affluent. And so they literally, he literally spent his life as a beggar. He wasn't clothed very nicely. He had beggar's rags on him. He, he had to go and steal with his father to get ends meet and just be able to survive that day. He lived a pauper's life. He lived a hard life. And then finally, one day, because he had a birthmark on his leg, the king ended up seeing that birthmark. And it brought him into remembrance that his son had a birthmark in the same area. And so he went to the man that had, who had uh, adopted this guy and said, that's my son. And the guy told him the story as to what happened. And the, the son was restored back into the king's, into the king's uh, palace. And in one day, he took off those beggar rags and put on the king's robes, what was appropriate for a king, for royalty to wear. He went from having a steal for his next menu, his next meal, to now having access to the king's table and eating whatever he wanted. He went from being a pauper to now having untold prosperity. He went from being someone who was a beggar to now royalty in the king's palace. And next in line for the throne. But what prevented him from having that story for the last 15 years that he had spent as a beggar? It was ignorance as to who he was. 
He didn't know who he truly was. He had no idea of his true identity. And it robbed him of the riches that he could have had for those 15 years or however old he was when he got discovered. Many Christians, because they don't know their identity in Christ from the scriptures, they live as beggars looking to accumulate a few crumbs so they can just get by in life. You weren't called to get by in life. You were called to thrive where other people are striving. You're called to rule and reign on the earth. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 and 10 says, Thanks be unto our God and to Christ who has redeemed us by his blood unto our God and has made us a king kingdom of priests and kings unto our God and unto our Savior. Revelation chapter 1 says that Christ has re released us from sin and has made us kings and priests to reign on the earth. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 19, listen to this, the book of Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19 and verse, verse uh, 5 says, Now therefore, if you'll indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. This is God speaking to the Israelites. So Moses, uh, verse 6, And you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 7. So the Bible says we're not to be a kingdom of beggars or a people that are just getting by in life. It says that you're going to be a kingdom of priests and kings to rule on the earth. Deuteronomy 7. Listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And verse 12, it shall come to pass if you listen to these judgments and keep them and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. He will love you. He will bless you. He will multiply you. He'll bless the fruit of your womb. He'll bless the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine and your oil and the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flock and the land of which you're he swore to your fathers to give you. You, verse 14, pay special attention to this. You will be blessed above all peoples. You're going to have a story that get people to gravitate towards you and say, show me your secret. Not, oh, you're a Christian, no wonder all things are going wrong for you. No, people should know you. People, uh, people shouldn't even have to ask whether you're a Christian or not based on the fruit of your Christianity. The Bible says you will be blessed above all peoples. You know, when the blessing of God came to Obed-Edom's house, the word got around back to David that the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom on account of the Ark of the Covenant. Everybody knew his fruits were flourishing. His vineyards were producing more than any other vineyard in Israel. Everything he had in his domain was increasing exponentially so that word got back to the king, God's blessing Obed-Edom on account of the Ark of the Covenant. When the blessing of God is on your life, when you start to walk in dominion in life, word gets around. You're not operating on the same frequency that human beings are. We're not human beings any longer. Understand this. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just as we no longer regard Christ according to the flesh, we should no longer regard our brothers as according to the flesh. Meaning don't look at Christians as just flesh and blood. For if any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation 
Old things have passed away. His old identity, his old nature, his old self has passed away. Everything has become new. We are now operating on the divine frequency of living. And as such, our results that we enjoy, the events that we experience, and the things that we see in life are to be different. I said it before, that doesn't say there's no challenge in life. Challenges in life are inevitable. But defeat is up to you. You can choose to soak and sorrow in defeat and just let your hands hang limp and surrender to the devil's will. Or you can say, trials and tribulation might come in this world, but I've, give, I've been given power to overcome because I'm blessed, because I have dominion that God has given to me in Christ Jesus, because I have a promise that I'm to be a blessed person above all peoples. I refuse to sit. I'm not going to like the Bible says the Israelites did, I'm not going to circle this mountain for 40 years hoping for something to change. I'm going to do what Moses did when he came in contact with the Red Sea, use the authority given to me, split the sea, and walk through. And because I serve an unconventional God, I'm going to see unconventional things, and I'm going to experience unconventional blessing. I'm not going to just like uh, those four lepers in, in 2 Kings chapter 7. The Bible says, they said, why sit we here until we die? Why sit here until we die? There's so many Christians that are sitting in the, in the place where they experience a momentary defeat. And they're sitting there waiting for things to change. Hoping for something to move forward. Waiting for, for, for God to snap his fingers and all things will be all right. They said, why sit we here until we die? I will arise, they said. And we're going to go and do what, you know, what they ended up doing. And then what happened? Their story changed. They were heroes. They went from lepers that were to be in quarantine to then being heroes in all of Israel. Why sit we here until we die? Don't sit down and camp just because you had some momentary defeat. Rise up. I'm destined for greater things. I refuse to move backward and I refuse to stay in the same place that I was yesterday. Today, I'm making a choice by the authority that's been given to me by redemption to move forward. I'm not sitting here. I'm standing up. I'm rising up. I'm moving forward. I'm taking charge. If I be a man of God, the things that have come and have been sent to oppose me shall be burnt by fire. And I'm going to have what God's promised I can have. That's why the Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. Don't surrender. Fight the good fight. You know why it's a good fight? Because by faith, we obtain good testimonies, good reports. The fight of faith, if you'll fight it. I said it before, and I say it again. The born again, redeemed believer can never lose until he quits. Until you quit, the devil has no ability to wipe you out. The moment you quit fighting the good fight of faith, you then go into the realm of the devil, the realm of reason, the realm of feelings, the realm of the natural, and he can whip you every single time. But if you'll stay in the realm of faith and stick to the arena of faith and fight the devil in faith, you'll whip him every single day of the week. So why do people 
not walk in this dominion, ignorance. They don't know who they are in Christ. They don't know what's been allotted to them in Christ. The Bible says in Colossians 1.12, giving thanks unto the Father who has enabled us or qualified us to become partakers of the inheritance. What's the inheritance? Everything Jesus died to make you into is your inheritance. Remember, we are joint heirs with Christ. Everything Christ gained as a result of his obedience, you've become a joint heir with him. Oh, hallelujah. The Bible says in Revelation 5.10, Worthy are you, O Lamb, to receive riches, honor, blessing, dominion, and glory forever and ever. We are joint heirs with Christ to share in His dominion, to share in His riches, to share in His honor, to share in those things. But the Bible says the way you access the inheritance of the saints, Colossians 1.12, is in light. What's light? Light is revelation of the truth. Giving thanks unto the Father who has qualified us to become partakers of the inheritance in the revelation of the truth. Let me read Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This is Paul praying a spirit-inspired prayer for the Ephesian church. And this is what he prayed. So imagine this. Paul probably, you know... Had some letters coming from Ephesus saying we're struggling with this. We need this. We have problems here. You know what Paul wrote back? He didn't say, well, I'm going to keep you in prayer. And, you know, uh, y- y- you keep on doing whatever you've been doing. And, and uh, we're going to hope for the best. That's not what he said. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter, five, uh, chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul writes down this inspired by the Holy Ghost prayer. And because it's inspired of God, it's a prayer that you can pray today. Because spirit-inspired prayers don't have a time limit on them. They're eternal. This is what he said. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I don't, give, I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you all in my prayers. Verse 17, this is what he prayed. So they came to him and said, I'm not saying they did. I'm just saying hypothetically, if the Ephesian church had come to Paul and said, Paul, we're struggling with this. This is what Paul would have prayed for them. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding would be enlightened or open so that you may know what is the rich, the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, which is his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of God's power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So Paul said, I pray that your eyes would be open to the hope of God's, of Christ calling you. When Christ called you and the, the riches of the inheritance of the saints, now that you've been called, the inheritance and the riches of that inheritance that now belongs to you as a saint and the surpassing greatness of his power that is in you. I pray that God would open up your eyes to see those things. The reason why people don't walk in dominion is because they have either through laziness or bad teaching never come to the true knowledge of what Christ has made them to be now that we've been joined with Christ. Remember, you were joined with Christ and have become one spirit with Him. That's in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You are one spirit with Christ. So I don't see Christ as separate from me. I see us now as one, fused together. John 17, Jesus prayed the high priestly prayer that they may be one in me even as I am one in you, that they may be one in us. So the Son is one with the Father and the Spirit. 
And now Jesus says that now that I'm going to do what I'm about to do, my death, burial, and resurrection, after they believe on me, that they too might join and be one with us. Connected with us. The Bible says in Colossians chapter, one, Colossians chapter 2, it pleased God that the fullness of the Godhead would dwell in Christ in bodily form. And the next verse says, and you are complete in Him. Oh, hallelujah. The fullness of God dwells in Christ, in Jesus, in bodily form. And we are complete or connected with Him. If you abide in me, Jesus said, I abide in you. And my virtue, my DNA, my dominion power flows now to you. If you're ignorant of that, you're never going to walk in it. Number two is unbelief. Some people know this and they mock this type of message. They mock it. That's that dominion theology. They mock it. They, they, they don't believe it. They reject the message Jesus went to Nazareth and he could do nothing there because they rejected his message. Jesus said, he that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive the prophet's reward. If you reject the message of the prophets and of the apostles from his word, you're going to reject the reward that is tied to faith in their word, in the word of God. He that refuses or rejects the message of the prophet, rejects the prophet's reward. He that uh, he receives the prophet in the name of a prophet will receive the prophet's re reward. Second Chronicles 20, 20. The Bible says that uh, believe in the Lord your God and he, you will be established. Believe in his prophets, what he's spoken through his word, and you will be what? You will prosper. So dominion is a function of your faith in God's word. And your faith in God's word is expressed through your mouth. People who don't believe in this never take action to speak against problems, to speak against mountains. Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel seen a valley full of dry bones. What did God say? Can these dry bones live again? Ezekiel said, Lord, you know. But then God said, command, speak to the bones to live again. If you have no faith, then there's nothing from his word in your heart. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if there's no word content in your heart, you're not going to have anything to speak forth. And if you're not speaking anything, things remain dead around you. But if like Ezekiel, you'll begin to rise up and speak, command the things as you've received from his word. You'll see that the resurrection power of God comes on the scene when you speak the word of God. God's resurrection power will remain dormant until you speak God's word. The spirit of God comes alongside the word of God to confirm it. Until the word is declared out of your mouth, the spirit of God has nothing to substantialize and bring to fruition in your life. You have to speak. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 17, encounters a demon that had already, been, had already come to the disciples. But the father had brought his son to the disciples. The disciples couldn't cast out the demon. Couldn't do it. When they brought the, the demon to Jesus, the boy that had the demon to Jesus, immediately he spoke, thou dumb and unclean spirit, come out of him. The moment he gave that command in faith, the demon left. The disciples came to Jesus afterward and said, why couldn't we cast it out? We tried to, why didn't it work for us? Matthew chapter 17, listen to the answer. This was Jesus' answer. This is not me trying to belittle anyone, saying, oh, you might not have faith. This is just Jesus' answer. This is 
what the Son of God said in reply to what they asked. Why could we not cast it out? 1720, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Because of your unbelief. So they couldn't exercise dominion over that devil because of unbelief. Unbelief stripped them of dominion authority over the, sat over the, the, the satanic entities that had come their way. But Jesus in faith gave one command. He didn't even spend much time doing it. He just spent, spoke one little word, tiny little sentence. Thou foul unclean spirit, come out. And immediately the spirit convulsed, realized uh, he, had, he didn't meet his match. He had met a force to be reckoned with and he got knocked out of that boy and the boy was restored back to his father complete the difference between the stories of jesus and the disciples dealing with the same problem the reason why jesus had success and the disciples had failure was because the disciples had unbelief and jesus had faith dominion is a function of faith Let me go through reasons why we should have dominion. Reasons for dominion. Why can I talk like this? Why could we challenge the devil and unseen forces with confidence and joy that they have to submit to us? What's the source of our confidence in our dominion? Number one, you're born from above. John chapter 3 says, he that is born from above is above all. So here are I've written down seven reasons for dominion. Seven reasons why you can be confident in your dominion and exercising that dominion over the devil and over anything that would challenge you in life. Number one, you are born from above. The Bible says in John 3.30, I just said it, that whatever is born from above is above all. We, would, we were born again from above, and the Bible says we have a new position that we are above all things. Above sickness, above disease, above poverty, above lack, above principalities, above devils, above Satan himself. Whatever has been born of God has been born from above, and whatever is born from above is above all. 1 John 5, 4, he that has been born of God has overcome the world. What does that mean to be an overcomer? It means you've come over. It means you've gone past it. It means you've gone above it. It means those things submit to you. You don't submit to them. Number one, you're born from above. That's, your, that's what the Bible says about you. Number two, what else does the Bible say about you? Ephesians 2 says, we were at one time dead in sin and the trespasses of our flesh. We were children of wrath, even as the rest, but God being rich in mercy. When we were dead in sin, he made us alive together with Christ and made us to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. Hallelujah. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. I'm not seated far below. I'm not on the same playing field as the devil. I'm not eye to eye with Satan. I'm, we're not in some wrestling match where we have, there's an even match, even matchup. I've been seated far above in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. And remember, where is Christ seated? He is, Ephesians 1 says it, far above principalities, far above powers, far above dominion, far above every name and authority that is named in this world and in the world to come. Because Christ has put the devil under his feet and we are the body of Christ seated in him in heavenly places, that means the devil is under our feet. So that you don't have to, 
You don't have to be beat down by his tactics and antics. You don't have to endure his affliction. You don't have to just suffer his oppression another day, just like Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good, destroying the work of the devil. We now, by virtue of our connection with Christ and being seated in him far above, we can destroy those works in our life and in the life of others. We can take authority over those, over those things using the name of Jesus that Jesus himself said, if you demand anything in my name, I will enforce it from heaven. If you demand anything in my name, I'm going to enforce it from heaven. Number three, the Bible says in 1 John 5.18, Beloved, we are of God and the wicked one cannot touch me. So number one, reason why we can have dominion is we're born from above and we're above all. Number two, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're far above cancer, far above diabetes, far above poverty, far above marital distress, far above oppression, far above. Think of it this way. Where you're seated in heavenly places, the devil can't even access. He has no ability. People always use Job. Well, you know, the devil can come before God and ask, ask the Lord for your soul. Ask the Lord for you. And then uh, God will allow him to do whatever he wants. That was Job. Job had no covenant with God other than the Genesis 6 covenant. He didn't even have an Abrahamic covenant and he didn't have a Mosaic covenant. In this new covenant especially, Revelation 12, uh, Revelation 12 says, Satan has been cast out of heaven. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And there is no longer a place found for him in heaven. So where I'm seated, Satan doesn't even have the ability to access. There's no gateway he can get through. There's no, he has had his rear end booted out of heaven and he cannot even access me unless I give him room to do that. You know that because you're seated with heaven in Christ in heavenly places, if you confess differently, if you confess defeat, you'll actually lower yourself to a point where the devil has a foothold over your life. He'll act, that's why the Bible says he can get, a, do not give the devil a foothold. Why is it talking about a foothold? Because that's the only thing the devil can grab. Because you're far above him, but by your confession, you lower yourself to a place where he can get a foothold and drag you down to his level. Don't let, don't give him any room in your life. Don't give him even a foothold. Don't give him an inch. Confess what the Bible says about you. You know, you'll never rise higher than your confession. You will never rise above the level of your confession. You will either be defeated or gain the victory in life based on your confession. You'll either fall in defeat or rise to victory based on your confession. For the power of death and life is in your tongue power of death and life is in your tongue god created you in his image god has the power to condemn and god has the power to bring life because you're in his image you have the power either to call those things which be not as though they were or to call the things that are exactly as they are and continue to have the things that are the problems the trials the struggle multiply as you keep saying the struggle is real forget the struggle is real start to confess the struggle is over jesus took the struggle on the cross and i'm rising up as a victory as a victor number three we are of god and the Bible says in 1 John 5.18, the wicked one cannot touch me. The wicked one can't touch me. That's, a bi that's John, the apostle of Christ, who was the one that leaned on his bosom at the Lord's Supper, who was the one that the Bible says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He said, not me, not some other 
preacher out in the last hundred years. The apostle John said, because we are of God, and though the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, yet because we are of God, the wicked one cannot touch us. Number four, reason why you can have dominion today is Colossians 1.13 says, you have been delivered from the powers of darkness and have been translated into God's dear kingdom, into the kingdom of God's dear son, into the kingdom of light. I was under the tyranny of the devil. I was in the prison cell of Satan in his headquarters. But when I believed on Christ, I experienced the mystery of translation. I was removed from the devil's headquarters and I was brought into Jesus' headquarters. I'm no longer a victim of darkness. I now carry light that shines out darkness and expels darkness everywhere I go. So I've been delivered just like if you were a citizen of a, a nation and there was a, a horrible thing that happened, maybe a, a vile dictator rose up and you fled that nation as a refugee and then years down the line, you gained citizenship in the United States or citizenship in another nation and you forfeited the citizenship of that nation from which you escaped as a refugee, you no longer are subject to comply with any of the rules or legislation of the nation from which you fled. You're now subject to the new nation's laws and the new nation that you have citizenship, uh, their, their legislation. You're subject to their governing authority. In the same vein, we're no longer under the governing authority of the devil. We're under God's governing authority. We're in Christ is King of King and Lord of Lords. And as such, we don't have to suffer the chains and affliction that the devil brings on people that remain in his kingdom. I have, I have escaped the corruption of this world. 2 Peter chapter 1 says, I have been rescued from this present wicked age and I have been brought into what? Scripture says, very clearly into a place that is flowing with milk and honey. The promised land. A place where every good and every perfect gift gets dropped into my lap as I walk the walk of faith. Number five reason why you can have dominion today is 1 Peter 2.9. The Bible says you were at one time without God, without, common, uh, without the covenants of God. You were a foreigner to the promises of Israel. But now you are a royal priesthood. You're a chosen generation. You are God's special possession. Call forth to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his light. I am not a wrinkled up, defeated foe, a defeated entity. I am a royal priesthood. I've exchanged my rags for his riches. I have exchanged my death for his life. I have exchanged my beggar's clothing. Just like blind Bartimaeus, he cast his garment aside. He cast his beggar's clothes away because he knew he was about to be clothed, not only receive his sight, but be clothed in Christ. And so I've cast away my old sinful nature. I've cast away the thing that could be ruled by the devil and I've put on Christ. I've put on my royal apparel. I've put on, I was once not the people of God. Now I am the people of God. I once was without mercy. Now I have received mercy. I once was without God. Now God lives and abides in me. I'm a royal priesthood. I am called to rule on this earth. A royal priesthood, not just a priesthood, a royal priesthood. Kings don't beg. 
Kings don't beg. They don't say, oh, could I please have some bread today? I would really like some bread. Kings command. For where the word of a king is, there is power. You don't beg for the devil to leave you alone. Quit begging for the devil to leave you alone. He's not going to go just by you begging. Your beggarly mentality, your whiny attitude is actually causing him to stay longer because he knows now you don't actually realize your royal position in Christ. The moment you start to act like a king and command the devil to go, that's when he has hands off and he has to flee. That's what it means to resist the devil. You've submitted to God. You've put off the old man. You've been renewed in the spirit of your mind. You've put on the new man which is created in the likeness of God. Now you resist the devil and the Bible has a promise tied to that that he will flee. He'll run from you as in terror. He doesn't run from people. And it's not even just what you say. You can say, I'm a royal priest or devil, I command you to leave. If you have no boldness in your voice, it's not just what you say that matters. It's how you say it. It's not just what you say. You can, if people who quote the scripture left, right, and center, they're still beat down. Bishop Oyedepo had a guy that tried to cast a demon at that he tried to cast the demon out of someone once, and the guy that was demon, demonized slapped the guy in the face. So he went to Bishop Oedepo, bringing the man. Bishop, in one second, said, come out of him in Jesus' name. The thing left the man, and the, uh, the pastor that had tried to, de- to cast out the demon before asked Bishop Oedepo, why is it that I couldn't cast the demon? Why did he slap me on the face? And he looked at him and said, because you have a face that looks like it can be slapped. You have a face that looks like it can be slapped. If you'll have this worried look on your face, the devil's not going to pay any respect to you, no matter what you say. You think Elijah was like, if I be a man of God, call fire from heaven. No, if I be a man of God. Benson Idahosa, of blessed memory, he was in Nigeria, and uh, uh, the witch king of the earth, he was like the most well-respected witch on earth, decided that they were going to have a conference for world witches in Benin City, Nigeria, which is where Bensinita Hosa had his, uh, Archbishop Bensinita Hosa had his headquarters. And so Bensinita Hosa said it'll never happen. So the witch heard about it because he, you know, Bensinita Hosa was a very well-known man in, in, in Nigeria, like had more power than the president. And so the witch said, uh, even if, even if Christ himself were to come down, even if Jesus Christ himself were to come down, it wouldn't matter, we'd still have this conference anyway. You know what Benson Hosea said? He told them, Christ doesn't have to come, I'm here, and I'm his representative. And the Bible says, in the Old Testament, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. If you're a witch, I command you to die right now. And the man backed off and said, oh, okay, I'm not a witch. I, I recant my witch position. I, it put the fear of God in him because the way he, he talked. He, that guy probably thought he was talking to some North American Christian. Oh, Father, we just bind this thing in Jesus' name. We pray. And Bitsonio said, Christ doesn't even have to come. I have keys myself that he gave me. If you're a witch, I command you to, the thing just, I'm not a witch. I recant my position as a world leader of council of witches. I'm leaving. And he left. And they didn't have the conference. Stop getting slapped around. Like you're a fish out of water. You can just take and whack its head. Start to do the slapping. 
Don't be the one being harassed. Be the one doing the harassing. Don't be the one in torment. Start doing the tormenting. The anointing makes you a harassing force against the kingdom of hell. You're a royal priesthood. Start to walk like one. Start to talk like one. Start to look like one. If you catch yourself in the mirror looking like you're the third guy from the left on the evolution chart and you're all hunched over and you look like you got baptized in pickle juice or you just ate a, a massive lime, then yeah, no wonder the devil's victimized you and set his scope on you and slapped you around. Start to walk with the... The stature, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, the equipping of the saints till we all come to what? The stature of Christ. If 1 John 2, 6 says, if we abide in Christ, we ought also to walk even as he walked. Walk like, picture Jesus. Do you picture Jesus walking like he's, he's victimized? He's got this victim mindset. Do you picture Jesus trying to avoid the devil? Do you picture Jesus being like, I don't know if we should go into the Gadarene area. I heard that there's a man that has 2,000 plus demons in him. I don't know what we would do. Disciples, we're going to have to go on a five-day mandatory fast here. Do you picture him walking around like he's clueless and didn't know what to do? Being dominated in life? No, that's not the picture I have of Jesus. And if that's not the picture I carry of Jesus and Christ lives in me, then I certainly am not going to walk like a beggarly victim. I, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 2, 6, he takes the beggar out of the dunghill and he seats him with the princes of his people. I was a beggar. I'm now a royal priesthood. Number six, number six, Luke 10, 17 and 19 tells us that we have dominion over unclean spirits. Jesus called his disciples and said, I give you power and authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and over all the power of the devil and nothing will ever harm you. That's not the devil has authority over you. That's you have overwhelming authority and dominion power over the devil and he has no ability to harm you you have the power to harm him and then finally number seven the greater one lives in you the greater one lives in you the bible says in first john chapter four and verse four Greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world you didn't receive the twin of the holy spirit who's like the awkward guy in the family you received the same Holy Spirit that was in Christ Jesus that raised him from the dead living in you. You remember when Jesus got in Mark chapter 5 to the gathering demoniac? Do you remember how they tried to bind him with shackles and chains, but he would remove himself from it, break free from the chains, and he'd be in the mountains and in the tombs cutting himself with stones. And many times they tried to submit him. Many times they tried to tame him, but he could not be tamed. But then, so man could not deal with this guy. It was, it was an impossible situation for man. Man couldn't uh, solve this guy's problem. But then the moment... Jesus, anointed of the Holy Spirit, his left foot or right foot, whichever foot hit the ground first, the moment he got off that boat and his toe hit the earth in the gathering area, that man who couldn't be tamed by shackles and chains runs to present himself before Jesus, bows to the ground and says, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth, son of the most high God, have you come to destroy us before the time? Look at what the Holy Ghost in Jesus did for him. And it wasn't this 18-hour deliverance session 
where he got out a cross and he started to go in the in my own name i bind you satan oh john go and get the oil we got to douse this guy in oil and they dumped a bottle of goyle oil on him and they began to just join hands and father we come against this power we pray that it would leave oh they all have the same voice we pray uh, that it would leave uh, you know they didn't do any of that he said you unclean spirits i command you come out of the man and just in that very minute that moment he was sitting clothed and in his right mind three things they could never do for that guy three things that jesus did by the anointing in one second that anointing that spirit that holy ghost power doesn't just dwell people think the holy ghost is in the air he's an energy that we can feel the holy ghost is in you know ye not that ye are the temple of the holy ghost let me show you exactly exactly what i mean by this second samuel Second Samuel, chapter, sorry, First Samuel, chapter 5. First Samuel, chapter 5. One of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. Verse 1, the Ark of the Covenant is captured by the Philistines. This is what happened. And the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon. Dagon is a symbol of demon power. The height of demon power. The epitome of Satan and all that he stands for. And they set the ark of God, which was what? The, the presence of God on the earth. It was the housing unit for the spirit of God on the earth. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon falling on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands. The head represents authority and the palms of the hands represent power. So the presence of God destroyed the authority and power of Dagon. And only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who come into the, in Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon until this day. That Ark of the Covenant, what was in the Ark of the Covenant, is now present in you. So that the same effect the Ark of the Covenant had towards Dagon, which was a symbol of the devil and witchcraft and the occult and Satanism in that day, is the same effect that the power of the Holy Ghost and the greater one that lives in you has on the devil, on demons, and on any foreign, evil, wicked force in heavenly places. Oh, hallelujah. If that's not getting you to run around your house or around your workplace, I don't know what will. Those are shouting words. The same thing that was in the Ark of the Covenant is resident in you. The Bible calls it the, the spirit of might. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power. The spirit of power. What is that power for? Psalm 66.3. Through the greatness of God's power, his enemies submit themselves to him. That spirit of might, the spirit of the Holy Ghost, the greater one that lives in you, the presence of God on the inside of you, gets the enemies around you to submit to sub, to be subdued under you 
Those are seven reasons for dominion. Seven reasons why you can walk out in confidence and trust that that dominion works for you, that dominion will work for you, and that dominion belongs to you. So another thing the devil uses is, you know, you can come into a message like this and see and, and agree, mentally assent to all these things being true and being found in the word of God. But if you don't think those things belong to you, if you think that's for everybody else or for the apostle or for the evangelist or the pastor or the teacher, but not for you, you're going to live far below your inheritance. If the devil can't stop you from getting saved, the very next thing he does is to prevent you from believing or thinking that these things belong to you. If he can't stop you from getting saved, the next thing he does, and if he can't stop you from coming to the knowledge of the truth of these things, the next thing he does is to persuade you into thinking that you're not worthy. You're right, you're not worthy, neither was I. But the Bible says Christ has made us worthy. The Bible says that we were washed, sanctified, justified by the power of the Lord and by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now we are worthy. We're justified by faith. And now because of our justification, whom he justified, he also did glorify. Our justification made us worry by the blood of Jesus so that we don't have to wonder whether these things... We, we don't, you don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to go through a seven-step program so that you can get the badge of honor that entitles you for these things. If you're born again, if you got saved Sunday morning, if you got saved last night, if you got saved 15 minutes before this broadcast, if you got saved during this broadcast, all of these things belong to you. All of these things are referring to you. Born from above, seated with Christ, of God and the wicked one cannot touch you. Translated into God's kingdom. A royal priesthood that has been told by Christ that has power over all unclean spirits and the devil can never harm them. And one who has the greater one living and abiding in them. All those things, because of your position by redemption, they belong to you. You don't have to wonder. I do have, I, wrote, I titled this broadcast, Five Areas the believer should dominate. And I'm going to run through them quickly because I, I titled this broadcast Five Areas. I was going to save it for Thursday, but you know what? I'm going to go through it now. Five areas, now that we know you have dominion, these are five areas that you should dominate in life. Five areas that you should have victory in. Practical victory. Number one, the area of your mind. The, the area of your mind. Guard your heart above all things, the Bible says, for out of it flows the issues of life. Your mind is the battleground. I spoke on this last Tuesday. Uh, or what, what are we today? We're Tuesday. Last Thursday then. I spoke on this Thursday. Your mind is the battleground in life. And whether you win the battle of the mind or lose the battle of, mind, of the mind is what's going to dictate what else happens in your, in your life. Your thoughts are going to pave the path as to where you go. Your life is going to go in the direction of your strongest thoughts. You know what? I'm feeling strong to keep this for Thursday because I want to go into it. It's already been an hour and a half and I want to like, I really want to cover these five areas. So I'm going to scratch that today. I'll change the title for the broadcast and then Thursday I'm going to go through these five areas in depth because I, I, it, would, it, it, would, it would not be the right thing to just 
loosely glance over these five areas because it's going to help a lot of people. So tune in on Thursday. For everyone that's watching right now, if you're watching and you've never given your life to Jesus, I told you, only those that have Christ can have dominion on the earth in, the, in, uh, in, pra in practicality. Only those that belong to Jesus can have dominion on the earth. You can't exercise dominion over anything until you have dominion over Satan himself. And you can't have dominion over Satan by yourself. There's nothing, there's no, in yourself you don't have power to break free from sin. In yourself you don't have power to break free from Satan. In yourself you don't have the power to stand when the devil uh, comes to knock you down. You'll get knocked down a hundred times out of a hundred. That's why the Bible says that the strong man representing the devil, when he is fully armed and undisturbed, his goods are in peace. But when one stronger than he, representing Christ, comes in, he binds the strong man and he plunders his house. Satan was the strong man. Christ is the one stronger than the strong man. When you accept Christ into your heart, that one stronger than the strong man comes in and binds Satan, binds his work, binds sin, casts it all out. And then we have ability to go back and take what the devil stole from us. If the devil stole in your health, you're just one prayer away from Jesus Christ, not only saving your soul, but the Bible says he's the savior of the body too. He'll heal your body. If you have mental torment and affliction, you're one prayer away. He's the Prince of Peace. When you connect with Him, perfect peace begins to flow through you. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. The devil might have done things to you that are atrocious. But you'll continue on that path of destruction until you receive Christ and come onto the path. That is a narrow path. Why is it narrow? It's narrow because you're going to have to lose some things. You're going to have to lose some relationships. You're going to have to leave some friends. You're going to have to leave some mindsets. You're going to have to lose wisdom that's been built up into your heart over the years. You're going to have to... There's, there's an initial cost. Any preacher that tells you there's no cost to following Christ is a liar and a false teacher. There is an initial cost. But I'll tell you, the reward far outweighs the cost. It's like, imagine there was a stock selling for 0.000001. And you bought 10 million of that stock. And then, and it cost you like 100 bucks or whatever. And now, you're, you're complaining because you lost $100. But then that stock went to like $3. And now that 10 million stock, is, it's worth $30 million. Would you be complaining? I can't believe I lost that $100. Oh man, I wish I had never given up that $100. That $100 meant everything to me. Meanwhile, you have 30 million sitting in the bank. Doesn't make sense. The cost might seem great up front, but I'll tell you, the benefits is far greater and the reward is far more enjoying. So if you're watching now and you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you have, but you'd like to come back, you'd like to restore your life to Christ. We've had many people, I keep getting messages on my phone, I get them straight to my phone, I, I see the names, I see the people, I pray the prayer requests. Um, if you want to come back, like the prodigal son, you've come to your senses and said, man, I, I, I've fallen away. If you seem far from God, it's not God that moved, it's you. But the good news is, is you can draw back to God tonight. You can draw near to God today. And God has a promise that He said He'll draw near to you. 
So if you've either never done it or you have, but you want to return back to the family of God, today's your day. Pray this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you. I humble myself before your mighty hand. I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord, for I believe that you raised him from the dead. I, I ask you, forgive me of my sin. Where I was weak, make me strong. Fill me with your spirit. Let old things pass away and everything become new. From today, give me victory over sin. Thank you that I'm an overcomer and that my tomorrow is going to be all right because I know you're already there. In Jesus' name, I am saved. I am redeemed. Heaven is my home and I'm never turning back. Amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.